We all know the benefits of blood transfusions, but is it possible that transfusing stored blood could have negative consequences? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, and my guest is Dr. Jonathan Stamler, George Barth Geller Professor for Research in Cardiovascular Diseases at the Duke University Medical Center in North Carolina. Dr. Stamler and I are discussing his research that discovered issues with the quality of stored blood that could affect patients who are transfused. Dr. Stamler, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your medical and research background and your current position at Duke. I am a professor of medicine. I practice in both pulmonary medicine and cardiology. I see patients in both specialties, but also spend a fair amount of time in the lab. And how did you decide to split your time between clinical medicine and clinical research? Oh, I was very clinically oriented going through my training, but I guess there were questions that were unanswered and ultimately ended up spending a fair amount of time in the lab in some attempt to answer them. So what gave you and your research team the idea to research the quality of stored blood in the first place? We've been generally interested in the question of how oxygen is recognized in cells and how cells respond in turn to changes in oxygen levels, both at the molecular level and at the organ and integrated system level. So this is part of a larger effort to understand responses of an organism to hypoxia. And did you set out to actually discover something about stored blood, or was this just part of a larger project where you made a discovery? Actually, in this case, there was a hypothesis, and we were looking specifically at the nitric oxide levels in blood for a reason. We can discuss, I think, how that hypothesis came about, but we were looking at nitric oxide levels with a specific idea that they might be depleted in stored blood. And we are interested. Why did you have that hypothesis in the first place that they might be depleted? There are many studies that have suggested in the past five to ten years that stored blood is not as good as we hoped. It might not be doing exactly as we had anticipated. There is a worrisome association between transfusion and adverse outcomes, including length of hospital stay, medical intensive care unit, admissions, multi-organ system failure, heart attacks, heart failure, and even death. And this is really true across patient subsets, surprisingly. So the data exist in studies of patients with trauma, critical care, that is in the intensive care units, in surgical patients, particularly patients undergoing coronary bypass surgery, in patients with acute coronary syndromes. So broadly speaking, surprisingly, transfusion has been associated with adverse outcomes. And really with the exception of patients who are exsanguinating, where the benefits of blood are very clear, the question has been out there as to why blood has not been doing as we had thought. It's in that background of knowing that anemia, even mild anemia, drops in hematocrit from 40 and below for 10 bad outcome, but transfusion does not seem clearly to help, that we decided for reasons I think we can discuss that we would be looking at the nitric oxide aspect of blood. That is to say, there was a hypothesis that something is missing in blood that might lead to these adverse outcomes. The way this research was carried out, did you find that it was the nitric oxide levels? Well, we think so. I mean, obviously, we don't know for sure that 
the deficiency of nitric oxide that we did observe is responsible for these adverse outcomes. What we were hypothesizing is that there is a disconnect between the amount of oxygen in blood and the ability of blood to deliver that oxygen. And we have understood over the past five to six years from our own work that the ability of blood to release nitric oxide and thereby dilate blood vessels predicts whether that blood can ensure adequate oxygen delivery. So the hypothesis was that even though we're giving oxygen, we're unable to deliver it, and thus there might be a deficiency of nitric oxide in the blood. And we found, in fact, that there is such a deficiency, and that that deficiency is associated with an impairment of red blood cells to dilate blood vessels. So quite amazingly, a red blood cell will dilate a blood vessel. Stored blood does not dilate blood vessels well. And as we know, blood flow is a principal determinant of oxygen delivery. So if, if your blood can't dilate a blood vessel, it won't improve blood flow and thus won't adequately deliver oxygen. And this research, was it carried out primarily in the lab, in an animal model, or were there humans involved? Well, in part, all of the above. So we take human blood from blood banks, and we do the analysis in the lab of the nitric oxide content. We assess the vasoactivity, the ability of that blood to dilate a blood vessel, in organ chamber bioassays in which basically animal rings of vessel rings are hung and their tone is assessed. And then the blood is examined functionally in dogs. So we are then infusing blood into dogs and assessing coronary blood flow. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I am speaking with Dr. Jonathan Stamler, George Barth Geller Professor of Research in Cardiovascular Disease at the Duke University Medical Center in North Carolina. Who supported this particular research, and how long did it take from start to finish for you to find out the results? This has been a long-standing effort. So we have been studying blood based on the assumption that, in fact, the respiratory system, that is, the ability to take up oxygen in the lungs, deliver it to tissues, and for blood then to take the carbon dioxide back to the lungs and exhale the waste product, that respiratory cycle is not a two-gas system, but rather a three-gas system. So we think of the respiratory cycle as having three gases, nitric oxide, oxygen, and carbon dioxide, all bound to hemoglobin at different sites. This has been a, an effort, a prolonged series of studies and in fact, our studies of blood are a continuation of that effort to understand the role of nitric oxide in the respiratory cycle and the possibility that disorders of heart, lung, and blood might manifest because of the deficiency of nitric oxide. So we all understand where the oxygen and the carbon dioxide come from, but help us to understand where the nitric oxide comes from in the cycle. So nitric oxide is produced by most cells of the body, in fact, probably every cell in the body. The vasculature is rich in nitric oxide synthases, enzymes that produce nitric oxide, and that nitric oxide ends up in part in red blood cells. Those red blood cells then move around the body and enter tissues where the oxygen tensions are in fact very low. So our lungs have high oxygen concentrations. We tend to think that we live in a high oxygen or an oxygen-rich environment, but in fact our tissues are very low in oxygen. And as red blood cells move into those tissues where the oxygen tensions drop, they have a synchronized mechanism of releasing oxygen together with nitric oxide. The nitric oxide then dilates the blood vessels so the oxygen can get to the tissues. Without that nitric oxide, oxygen delivery 
will be impaired. And there is now accumulating evidence to indicate that there is a deficiency of nitric oxide in blood in several diseases, including diabetes, pulmonary hypertension, and sickle cell disease. So there is already a background of you know, nitric oxide deficiency in blood, and now blood bank blood is profoundly deficient, evidently, in this gas that then dilates blood vessels. And would we get our nitric oxide through the nitrogen that's in the air that we breathe, or does that nitrogen come from metabolites that are inside the body in other ways? No, we get our nitric oxide from an amino acid called L-arginine. We do not get nitric oxide from nitrogen in the air. So all of our nitric oxide is synthesized. There are byproducts in the diet that can raise the nitric oxide level, and there have been some interesting reports on byproducts that are enriched in spinach, for example, and also the ability of certain products to stimulate nitric oxide production, including cocoa and wine. So there are ways to increase the nitric oxide level, but most of it is synthesized in the body. And then when it's broken down, does it go somewhere or does it stay as nitric oxide in this process and continue to circulate throughout the body? It's converted to an end product called nitrate and excreted in urine and in stool. So we have to be constantly producing nitric oxide in order for our blood system to work. Indeed, we are constantly producing it. And it enters the blood where it is then specifically utilized for a biological response called hypoxic vasodilation. So this is a classical physiological response in which blood vessels dilate in proportion to the degree of hypoxia. So tissues that need oxygen have a mechanism of increasing their own supply of blood. So if you were to go for a run, for example, blood vessels would dilate to the muscles to ensure oxygen delivery. The moment you stop running, those vessels constrict. That mechanism of so-called oxygen-regulated vasodilation is controlled by red blood cells. It's really quite amazing. So a red blood cell will dilate a blood vessel in proportion to the degree of hypoxia, and that is regulated through the release of nitric oxide or nitric oxide-like substances. This wasn't the only research that was going on at Duke about this same topic. What else was being found out at the, around the same time? There have been studies at Duke looking at this blood problem for a number of years. There's a very nice study by Sunil Rao and Rob Califf in the JAMA in 2004 that attempted to assess the risk of transfusion in patients presenting with acute coronary syndromes. They looked at three studies, 24,000 patients or so, who presented to the hospital with acute coronary syndromes and received or didn't receive a blood transfusion and found that those that were transfused had a marked increased incidence of heart attacks and death. So if you didn't get a blood transfusion, you had a 3% chance of dying and a 8% chance of having a heart attack. If you did have a transfusion, there was an 8% chance of dying and a 25% chance of having a heart attack. In other words, no transfusion, 10% heart attack or death, transfusion, 30% chance of heart attack or death. Rather remarkable numbers controlled for all measures that one can control for in these large studies. So there's a background here of interest in this area of blood transfusion. In addition, a colleague of mine, Tim McMahon, investigated the levels of nitric oxide in blood in a prospective randomized study that was designed not only to address the same question of whether nitric oxide is present in blood and how long it lasts in blood banks, but also to assess the 
strength of this idea in the context of all the other blood banking parameters that might change over time in blood banks. Transfused blood saves lives, but recent discoveries about stored blood raise concerns about safety and efficacy. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Jonathan Stamler, George Barth Geller Professor for Research in Cardiovascular Diseases at the Duke University Medical Center in North Carolina for discussing his research that discovered issues with the quality of stored blood that could affect patients who are transfused. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you access to our entire program library. Thank you for listening.